Romans chapter 16, uh, verse 25 to 27. This is the end of the book of Romans. And um, man, I, I, I say it time and time again. If you if you watched if you watched the um, the learning week this week, we had this thing on biblical church leadership, and one of the passages that we read, I think we read it. We read a lot by us. I mean, I to show double honor to elders, pastors in the church, particularly those who spend time in preaching and teaching. So, use the church to do that. To me and to Andrew, like you pay our paychecks, like so we can work full time in ministry and do those kind of things. So I just want to say thank you for a moment, um, because because I it's such a um, honor for me and a privilege for me and Andrew to be able to have time and resources to really study God's word and to do it in a way that we couldn't do it if we were mowing lawns all the time or uh, breaking bones or healing bones or whatever you happen to be doing that's very very good. Um, because you guys have shown us double honor in that way and allow us to to work as pastors full-time, we have time to study God's Word and unpack things. So I just want to say thank you. I would never have personally been able to know Romans like I do now if it wasn't for you guys as our church. So thank you for that. I hope it's been good for you too. Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 27, a passage so good that Mark almost cut off our third song of the morning. Can you read it to us? Thank you, Mark. Um, I want to go in this way here. This is the closing of the book of Romans. Book of Romans written by a guy named Paul. Paul was an enemy of the cross of Jesus. God stepped, stopped in and stepped in, like stopped him cold in his tracks. He is a trained scribe and Pharisee of the people of Israel. One of the sharpest, under the best teacher at the time, a guy named Gamaliel. And he was rising up to the ranks and he was basically functioning as super educated muscle. Um, putting people in prison, killing people. A commission to do that, and God stops him, and God saves him. He knew the Old Testament way better than you do, and way better than I do, but they didn't save him. There was a problem in his heart that though he knew all that kind of stuff, still the problem was still there, and so God broke that problem, just like he broke it in me, and for most of us in the room, just like he broke it in you. God steps in through his word, and boom, breaks us, right? Brings light into our dark room of our heart, and we can see often through texts that we've had in our head for so long, um, I've, I've been loving our scripture soak as we go along. This is actually referenced in this past week. We were in Galatians, and um, I, had, I had a chance to um, preach my grandma's funeral this past weekend. That's why I wasn't here. And there's this, uh, there's this text that made me think about my grandma's funeral, but it's right here in our passage too, where Paul said, my words here, God set me apart for the advancement of the gospel before I was born. Obviously, then he's born, and he's not saved. And he's like killing Christians. That's, that's extra not saved. He said, and then at due time, he revealed his son to me. In due time. So Paul has all this information in here, all these texts, all this truth, all these testimonies of people. He's watched Stephen yield to Jesus and lovingly take stones in the face and die. And with his last words, issue forgiveness. Paul has all of this and it didn't break his heart until the moment God opened his eyes. And took all those things, and then through new divine revelation, if you actually think about what Jesus said to him on the road, it was nothing other than confrontation. Paul knew everything about what he needed to know before then. It was just simply the moment Jesus confronted him. For him, audibly with a bright light. For us, not so audibly and not so with a bright light. And he breaks into our hearts, and he gives us light. Beautiful thing. And here's Paul, and he's writing this book to the people of Romans, the people, to the people in the, in the church of Rome he hasn't met. 
And it is a powerful, probably the most robust theological treatise that's ever been written. And, uh, and we're all huge benefits of it. And so it's the closing of it. And the closing of it is just like the beginning of it. Um, as, as Mark read in the closing of it, it says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. By the way, you, you, I'm just telling you, please get a copy of the gospel the passage in front of you so you can, uh, you're, we're going to go back and forth in this text a lot today. So I'm going to read it, but we're in Romans 6, 25. It gives you a moment to download it in case you don't have a phone in front of you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, literally eternal ages, but now has been disclosed and brought through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus. Now with that in your head, the little words lingering in your head, might I mention words such as grace and gospel? Might I mention the phrase obedience of faith? Might I mention to all nations? Keep that in mind as I read for you Romans 1.5. Romans 1.5 at the beginning of the letter, Paul says this, through whom, through Jesus, we have received, Paul says, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So here are all the same pieces, right? Number one, we've received something. And for Paul, it was grace and apostleship to bring about something which is called the obedience of faith. That was mentioned in the verse I just mentioned at the end. So obedience of faith, same phraseology. For the sake of his name, which parallels his glory at the last passage here, among all the nations. Because that says that in the beginning, says that in the end. So 1, 5 and 6, 26 and 27 are parallel Openings and closings, they are what this book is about. This is what Paul is saying. And so our passage today is called a doxology. It's how you close out a letter. And it's him issuing glory to God. But even as he issues glory to God and, and, and is basically gathering us to say, let us praise his name, the tool of it is like because of who this God is. He is the God who is strengthening us for this work to bring the gospel to all the nations for the obedience of faith. So I need you to keep that in mind. And when it says all the nations, what does this mean? It means this. God initially started doing his work by creating a people called the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. He made spe specific promises to them and that he would be with them and he would work through them. And, but he left little hints out there that it would go out to all the peoples of the earth. But it wasn't really clear how that would work, right? Just little hints about the nations and the Gentiles. Um, a Gentile is anybody but the Jewish people. So if you take the globe and you make color Israel red, shall we say, and everything outside of Israel, that's you, you Africans, and you, you Scandinavians, and you Asians, all of us, right, you Antarcticans, like all the rest of us are Gentiles. In the Old Testament, God says, I'm dealing with the Jews. Those are my people. I'm giving my commands. I'm giving all my, my commitments to them. But somehow it's going to go broader. They just didn't know how it, uh, it would be. Jesus comes, and Jesus speaks how it's going broader. But it wasn't until God gave the information through Paul that we understand how it actually did break out past all Judaism to all of us Gentiles around the world. So when he says among the nations, he's unfolding that concept that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of the kingship of Jesus is a worldwide phenomenon. And the gospel is accessible to everyone in the whole world not just the Jewish people or Sumerians or Judeans, but the uttermost ends of the earth. So that's what it means.
what it doesn't mean for you and what does it mean for us is that God's plan for you is that you're going to have one person from every single nation in the entire world that's going to be part of your friendship group. No, it's just simply saying it's boundless. It goes to everybody. So this is the way he describes, he closes the letter, the way he begins it. I want to go to verse 25. I want to break down our passage in three ways for us this morning. Our first piece is this. Oh, my, here's my title. My title is, it's really conventional, God's faith-fueled rocket of obedience to glory. God's faith-fueled rocket of obedience. I know it's kind of funny because you have to think rocket and a sermon title for a while. I haven't either. But um, I'll, f- I'll fill this out a little bit here. But there's actually a really neat thing being said here that I think you will find helpful. So just kind of stash that in the back of your mind. Look at verse 25. Our first, our first point is this. He is able to strengthen you. He's able to strengthen you. So may I at this moment just pray and ask the Lord for my help. Father, we are forever and ever and ever going to be more and more and more happy to be absolutely dependent on you and knowingly dependent on you, wanting your teaching and your training and your unfolding of your graces and goodness on us now as we walk this planet and in the future to come. So we need you. And so this morning you've given us your word. You've given us breath in our lungs. You brought us here together as your people. I pray, Father, that you would help us by your spirit and open our eyes to the wonders of you. And in that, Father, I pray that you would give me grace to guide me and direct me away from and side distractions and side tangents that I should not be in this morning and give me grace to be understand and to explain as clearly as I can. And that would be helpful, Lord, on your behalf to illuminate us to your word. And for all of us, and myself included, Father, please stir belief in us. Don't let us be cold to what you're saying. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. So number one, he is able to strengthen you. Verse 25 says, starts off with this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. It says now to him because this is the start of a doxology. It's a moment where he's about to say something, wish something for the Lord. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. So here's a question, just basic noting here. He who is able to strengthen you. There are other passages in the scripture where God promises that he will finish what he has started in you. But this passage is a little bit different. This passage says he is able to strengthen you. It's not a guarantee that he will strengthen you. He doesn't tell you to get strong. He says to him who is able to strengthen you. So the big question is, strengthen you for what? What do you want this to be strengthened for? Like when you hear that, he's able to strengthen you. What is that for? What are you hoping for? Um, what does it accomplish? Or maybe this way. If I ask you this question, don't say it out loud. Finish this sentence in your mind. God can strengthen you for, what do you, what do you got to finish? What? Well, he's going to strengthen you to do something, right? In your minds right now, because I've read all your minds, there are probably only two answers that come to that. Number one is to survive, or number two, to do something. You have one or two answers, or maybe both if you're fancy, uh, that's going to come out. You hear strength, and the benefit of strength is, A, to survive. And that's a whole lot of us, because that's, quite honestly, all we want to do is make it through to lunchtime, to the end of the day, to the end of the semester, until I get married, until I get married and have a kid, until I have four kids, until I have, until, until, until just strengthen, strengthen, strengthen to survive. You're a survivalist by nature. And then some of us, a little more doers. We know I need strengthening to do something. So there's, a, there's an answer that you put in that either survival or to do. But if it's just simply to survive, just to make it, um, 
I, I want to say this gently, but you may not even be believing the gospel in the first place. I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but you may not be believing and thinking in gospel ways in the first place. Because, yes, he will equip you to survive, but he will equip you so much more than that. He didn't save you to just accumulate heartbeats and breaths on this planet. He's left you here for a purpose, okay? And there's two purposes in this passage that I want to break out. One is a commission and one is fruit. One is commission and one is fruit. The commission. All right, I'm going to get a little fancy here. You ready to roll with me? Okay, we're going to get a little bit kind of grammatical. Um, there is a sentence structure of verses 25 to 27. Remembering what we read in, in Romans 1.5, which is, through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Paul says, we, so Paul's writing on behalf of a team of us, we have received God's grace and this position of apostleship. That's Paul, that's not me. So Paul says, we've received grace, Paul's received apostleship, and it's to do something. It's worded super funny in Bible terms. If you're, if you're really reading a lot of scripture, you're scripture soaking. These terms should strike you as kind of funny because they're unusual. He says, God gave us the grace and apostleship to bring about, to make happen, the obedience of faith. Now, we Bible readers are like, I can't do that. And you're right, because you're a Bible reader. You can't bring about the obedience of faith in people. You can't do it. But Paul says God has commissioned him and given him grace and given him a role, apostleship, to seek this ambition of something he cannot do and that God has to provide for him to do. Shall we say through strengthening? So Paul has this position. Likewise, God is commissioning us. Okay, now, uh, now here's, I'm going to enter like a sentence structure. You guys ready for this? If I give you this sentence here, your mom, who birthed you, and quite happily, I might say, into this world, is wonderful. Now, if I say this without you looking at it, I say your mom, who birthed you, quite happily, I might say, into this world, is wonderful. You would know how to track it. In your mind, you kind of have categories. You know I'm saying your mom is wonderful. And I'm also, I'm also kind of saying, she, you know, the one who birthed you in the world, um, is, is, and, and she's really quite happy about it. I'm saying a couple things with this big idea. Your mom, she's wonderful. So we trust Right? Okay, our text today is like the sentence. And when you read it in your Bible, or you hear it out loud when Mark reads it, or I read it, often we just kind of go, blah, 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 blah. Okay, but when we study Scripture carefully, we don't go blah, 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 blah. We kind of figure out what things lie in that way. Now, let me, let me kind of diagram the sentence here for your mom. Can I have the next slide for you? Okay, your mom. Who birthed you? It's kind of a sex, second category. Third one, and quite happily, I might say, into this world, and so we see who birthed you into this world. That's kind of one thought. We come back to the major thought. Your mom is wonderful. Can I see how that stag staggers there? Uh, in like biblical studies, it's called like a chiasm, kind of the way they break it down, okay? Just geeking for a moment, but this I'm going somewhere with this, so hold on, right? Okay. <clears throat> Can we break into my next slide, please? And here's our verse. Okay. Sorry about you guys who are back off there at the microfish. Live with this one, Okay. So here's what's really said in the sentence. If you're like stepping back and going, where does the sentence go? The sentence goes, now to him, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore to Jesus Christ. That's the big thought. Everything else is sub-thoughts. Now to him, the second thought is, who is able to strengthen you to bring about the obedience of faith? That's the second sub-thought. Everything in the middle is a description of that. In 1.5, we see that God gave grace and apostleship in order to grant Paul 
on this journey of bringing about the obedience of faith. In the same way, in this text, not only is Paul commissioned to bring about the obedience of faith, you are commissioned to bring about the obedience of faith. And the only way you'll do that is if you get the strengthening that he can give. All right, does that make sense? All right, next slide. Which then brings us to the second thing, fruit. So what does it mean, obedience and faith? There's two different options you can get, English or Greek, when it says the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith can be one of one or two things. It could mean obedience, which is faith in Christ. So Paul would be like a herald, shall we say, and he's coming to the world, and he's calling, hear ye, hear ye, the king is coming, and you need to align with him. And that's biblically true. That's why Jesus, when Jesus came, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Believe in the gospel. He's not suggesting that. He's telling you to do that. Jesus isn't saying, hey, I got this nice bus, and I'll rescue you out of all your problems and your woes and give you a wonderful life, kind of if you want to. It is clearly an offer, and it is a fantastic life. But don't confuse it. Jesus is not simply inviting. He's calling you, commanding you, commissioning you as one of humanity to come to Jesus, the true king. It's an authoritative thing. So if this was obedience, which is faith in Christ, it could be Paul saying, hey, we're being sent in, and we are heralding that all the world, all the people of all the nations to obedience, which is faith in Christ. That's possible. It's possible in English, possible in Greek. The second option is obedience that flows from faith. In other words, a fruit of faith. So if you're re- reading an NIV this morning, it states that very kind of specifically. I think the NIV is right in this, and here's why. While both of those things are true, while Jesus does come and actually commissions us to say, hear ye, hear ye, there is a real king. His name is Jesus, and all will bow their knees to him, including you and your grandma and everyone on this whole planet and every ruler. You need to come to the king who summons. That is true, and he does send us there. But we want to be careful that we are always interpreting Scripture clearly and carefully and that we are picking up the right principles from the right spot. In this book here, there's not language like that so much in the rest of the book of Galatians, uh, Romans. But I'll tell you what there is. Sorry, the Scripture soak has been killing me. I've been loving it. I've been having such great conversations, but whoo, got to hydrate after that. In Romans, there's all kinds of ink spilt about true and authentic obedience that flows out of faith in the work of Jesus. It's all over the place. It's one of the huge themes, how salvation is accessible to everybody. But he goes, now let's talk about how this gets done. Since the beginning of time, you only get right with God through faith in Jesus. Faith in the Messiah, somehow in the Old Testament, faith in in Jesus, the one who came and lived and died and rose again in the New Testament. That's the only way you get okay with him. And don't ever think you'll do a single thing to rectify that problem aside from that. So we are saved by faith. And if we have true faith, then we will abound in the fruit of obedience. And if you're not gushing out obedience fruit, something's really wrong. Either your faith is really weak, you're walking in disobedience, or maybe you don't have saving faith. And Paul addresses that throughout the time. There's questions like, well then, should I continue to sin that grace may abound? He goes, may it never be. So time and time and time again, there's all this language in the, in, in the book of Romans about salvation by faith and that that living faith has living fruit. Another book. Did we do scripture soaking James already? We already did. You guys remember it there, right? Living faith has living works. Time and time again in the New Testament. So there are two things in this passage here, number one. Number one, 
He strengthens us for commission because he's calling you and commissioning you as the link in the chain number 761 to bring about the obedience of faith in the people in this world. You're on the same chain that Paul was. You're not an apostle like him. I'm not an apostle like him. But we are onto the same commission that he's been commissioned. And that, that God used Paul and equipped Paul and strengthened Paul to be able to travel around and write down all kinds of stuff and do this because he was helping strengthen the next chain pieces down the line, which is you and me today as we read this. We are now part of that. We're not just simply end users of the gospel. We are conveyors of the gospel. And he has now commissioned us to set about seeking the obedience of faith, which is two things. It is the commission he gives us, but obedience of faith is the fruit of it. In this gospel slide that I, that I had up there, the gospel itself shows us a unique thing. Can I go with gospel slide for us again? Thank you. Um, when we understand the gospel, we understand, when we walk through it, God made us, right? We're mankind. We're designed to be God-centered, but instead of being God-centered, we became fallen, and we're self-centered instead of God-centered. We're self-directed instead of God-directed. We're enemies and aliens, and we're just totally separated from them. We can't do a single thing to fix it because we're spiritually dead. But then God puts a proposition, an offer on the table. And that offer would be to be with him, to have a reconciled relationship both now and forever. But he will be your king, and that's costly because of his authority, but even better than that, it would be your treasure. You'll be your treasured king, where you'll love him forever and ever, now, ever so increasingly now, and then forevermore into eternity. And if we want that, and some of us don't want that because we like the steering wheel in our hand, but if we want that, then we have to talk about how it gets, gets done. Jesus Christ comes and lives and dies again to give us the payment, to give us, to afford us the offer that he has offered us. We then respond in the end by saying, Jesus, I don't want to live in the fall anymore. I want what you've offered to me. Please give it to me through the payment in Jesus Christ. Change the words, Jesus, I'm dead. I want to be alive. I trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Change the terms. Jesus, I realize that I've been a rebel against you and living in darkness, and I'm part of the problem. I'm not just suffering it. I'm a perpetuator of the problem. And I don't want to be anti-God anymore. I don't want to be an enemy of yours. I, I see you've advertised your love and your arms wide open. I give myself to you. Galatians this week, right? Those who are with Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, right? I die. I die. I take you. Die to me. I take you. And he goes, okay, how's that going to get done? You going to be a good little boy? You're like, no, because I'm not a good little boy. Jesus is the good son. And he lived and died in Rosie. So don't ever count a thing I've ever done, Jesus. Count what Jesus did for me. He goes, welcome home. Right? We can say it different ways. But the idea is this. What is God offering us? He's offering us a new life we're with him. That's why he describes it as the obedience of faith. It's not about people like just subscribing to some new religious view or some loyalty to some system. It's when they put their faith in Jesus Christ, they come to life in him, and they come to life, and because there's this new faith, it fruits out in obedience. What is pleasing to the Lord Versus what is not pleasing the Lord. It does not please the Lord when a bunch of people gather in him. They're wearing the Jesus jersey. But there's no hearts of transformation where they know him and they love him. And their faith is alive and starts fruiting into obedience. Until it's fruiting in obedience, the faith is junk. It's worthless. It's not really faith. So what does he strengthen us for? He strengthens us for what he's offering us. He's offering us the obedience of faith. In the response, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. 
And what does it start yielding? What you ask him to do in the first place. Like a life now with him where we live in obedience to him. So our first piece is this. God is able to strengthen us. To strengthen us for what? For his commission and for fruit. He doesn't say he, he will do it. He says he's able to do it. So this actually puts it in a spot where he's like, what will you do? Do you want to draw near the Lord? Because he's never going to be one that says, all right, I've got the total ability here. But when Katie comes to me, we'll see what I give her. Maybe I will, maybe it won't. The ableness of it is what will you do with it? Like, will you be a believer? Will you in this passage be a believer who stands off from Jesus, like just kind of enjoying all like the crumbs that fall off of his offer? And like, you know, I just like, I just, I just, just mow mow on these crumbs and all these secondary blessings and I don't really care what the purpose is for. Or are you a person who takes advantage of the strength that he will give you because he promises he will give it to you if you ask him. It's there. And he will promise to do something in you so that you can embark in this mission that you don't have the ability to accomplish. And Paul didn't have the ability to accomplish. God accomplishes the ability by his supernatural strength through his supernaturally reborn children to do this mission that only he does, which is to bring about the obedience of faith in people of all nations and tribes. So that's our first piece. Like Paul before, you need God's strength to bring about the people of the world having lives marked by obedience to Jesus that flows from faith in Jesus. I just would say one last word in here. Just note the certainty. While we can say, yes, God does the work, and our job is to just, just get in the way of that, to put, present ourselves at his feet, there is force in that statement, in 5 and in 27. There's force in that statement. Go after it. Just don't go in and, well, I did my part. I, re I received the ball and I passed the ball. Right? You're n this is not a passive statement. This is a very strong, active statement. You, you dump your heart. As a doctor, as a, as a housewife, as a student, as a retired person, whatever you're at, you dump your heart and your life into this mission. You are a doctor, you are a housewife, you are a mom, you are retired, you are homeless. Whatever you are, you are that because of this mission, which is to bring about the obedience of faith. We go for that. We don't simply, well, I'll just do my part and pass it on. We take that, and with all of our heart, this is the purpose of our lives. Number two, we are strengthened and commissioned by the gospel. So he's able to commission you. Number two, we are strengthened and commissioned by the gospel. Um, says in verse 25, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long, literally eternal ages, but now has been disclosed, unfolded, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God. We're strengthened and commissioned by the gospel. He says he's able to strengthen us. How? According to or by what? By, Paul says, my gospel and the preaching of Jesus. So just, just a little bit of deep end stuff here. Paul is aware of his spot in the kingdom. Paul has encountered Jesus supernaturally. Paul has since that time received supernatural revelation, new information from the throne of God that hadn't been shared with anybody, and it was really big news. How big a news? Well, it was so big a news that they had these giant councils in Jerusalem to bring Paul down to Antioch because he's saying new things about how the Gentiles work and how God's old promises interlaced in the new ones. And it had, though it had been hinted in the Old Testament, it wasn't unfolded until now God, the God who had, in this passage, hidden it for eternity past, 
the eternal God by his command, and this text right here says now, by the way, I'm, those aren't my words. I, I'm hoping you can remember, remember them. He said, the mystery that was kept for secret for eternal ages has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God. So God had this plan, and like God does, he's only revealing slices of it at a time, slices of it at a time, and people are racking their brains. So these days when we read the New Testament, we rack our brains and all kinds of things about God's sovereignty and, and end times and the, that kind of stuff. Back in the Old Testament, people are racking their brains over what he do with Gentiles and who the heck is the Messiah. We know that from First and Second Peter where it says the godly ones at the time were like, my term, racking their brains, trying to figure out like, who is the Messiah and when would he come? Because God had, God had said certain things and he doesn't say anymore. He's very specific about what he says about these things. And then we take him and we try to chase him and kind of run them down. In the New Testament, he unfolds this to Paul. It's such kind of mind-bending stuff. And it changes life so much because, you know, bacon was now on the menu. And he didn't have to have celebrations and travel to Israel all the time. Mind-bending for the lifestyle. So there's a big hubbub. They brought everyone down to Jerusalem where the church and the elders of the church, the pastors of the church, and the apostles had this big hubbub down there. It's called the Jerusalem Council. Paul spilled the beans, told them what he had got from the Lord, had been teaching for a little while. And they're all like, mm, I, you know, it was kind of, it was, a, it was a big thing. And in the end, the apostles, along with Paul, and the elders said, this is actually from God. We agree that God actually gave this to Paul. And so when Paul says, my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, he's talking about the whole things of the New Testament, all the teachings of the New Testament. But particularly with Paul's gospel, it's all the specificity of how, where faith comes from and how faith works together into works, those kind of things. And how it goes to all of us Scandinavians and all of us Africans and all of us South Americans and all the nations around the world that aren't Jewish people. That information commissions and strengthens you for the commission he's given you. So he's able to strengthen you. How? According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, the unfolding of all these details, the details of this new covenant stuff and how it goes to the nations, it isn't like just a nicety. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you actually need that information if you want to be strengthened to the call to which God's called you. Um, and at first hearing it, it can be confusing, but that is what we are here for as pastors. We will do a bit over backwards to help you understand the gospel and how it works and how the New Testament and Old Testament works. Coffee, 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 coffee. And all the, the older men and women in our church that do all the leading, we will coffee and talk because we want you to understand the gospel of Jesus, both what Paul revealed and through the teaching of Jesus and how the gospel is for all people and it's always salvation by God, by His grace, through faith, which then yields the obedience. So we want to help you because we want you to have that. Theological depth is not optional or a nicety. Um, anything good in our church comes from the Spirit of God using theological depth. Anything. Anything you admire here comes from the Spirit of God using theological depth. So it's not a nice year thing. Oh, I just, I like to hear it sometime. Be the chain. Be the chain. Be a college-age student. Be a retired lady. I don't know where you're at. And know this stuff and understand the promises of God so you can pass it off to the people that are near you. I, I listened to a person yesterday who's a guest on a podcast, and this person is a politician. I don't know much about, I don't know anything about their politics. But they were being interviewed about some question, and man, the meat that flew out of this person's mouth, the theological depth, I was like, woo, listen to it. And he wasn't, being using, wasn't using hot terms or whatever. But the person was asking him questions, and the way he was bringing it in, the questions entered into a world of stuff he knew very well. 
He's like, that's a good question here. But he starts talking about the difference between how Jesus came in the Gospels and how Jesus will come again to rectify all things. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. And then other things, there was just depth to it. He's using personal language, but he's speaking because the man was strong in the moment. The conversation, I think, was supposed to be political, but all of a sudden turned into this massive gospel conversation. And he was strengthened by the Lord, by the depths of this very same thing. Okay, so it's beautiful, beautiful example of it. I loved kind of hearing just the portion. I didn't listen to the whole thing. Might be heretical, I don't know. But in that portion, it was really, really good. You are commissioned and strengthened by God through understanding and belief in the robust and focused message of the New Testament gospel. Third, our last piece is this. We are now with Christ for the glory of God. We are now with Christ for the glory of God. Remember, verse 25 starts the sentence. Verse 27 is the end of the sentence. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. So this is something the gospel does to us. We once found God a lightweight. We once found God a lie. We found God a myth. We found him to be a fraud because we were enemies. And not only were we willful enemies, but we were darkened and we were deceived by sin. We lived amongst a people in a culture that said, oh, he's not real. It's junk. It's lore. It's legend. But the gospel, one of the, the fundamental work it does, is it opens our eyes to see the wonders and the reality and the truth of God. That's what he's done to us. And so that's why the book would end in this way. Oh, to the only wise God be glory forevermore. Through Jesus Christ, amen. So through Jesus Christ, let's start with the end of words here. God can only be known by what he reveals of himself. Um, God isn't like a stick that you can go outside and observe. Or like a rhinoceros, you get binoculars to observe. You can't observe him. He's not like Venus, where you can get a telescope and observe him outside of him and make your judgment calls on him. The only thing any human will ever know about God is what God has chosen to reveal him. God reveals himself to us. Now, he did it in the Old Testament through what he wrote. <gasps> Scripture soak. Do you guys remember back when we were in Hebrews chapter 1 to 6? Do you guys remember something about this? Oh, some hot stuff. Check this out. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. So just listen to these words. How do we know about God? Long ago. At many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed as heir over all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications of sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become a much superior, as much more superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. How do we know who God is now? Not only do we read the Old Testament, but far better, we've seen who God is through Jesus. You remember, remember the Jesus boy saying, please show us the Father. And he goes, how long have I been with you? And you have not seen the Father. When it says he is the radiance of his glory, uh, some of the pictures here is like it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a light, it's a heat, so bright you can't bear to look at it, but you can, you can encounter the secondary effects of that light, the radiance that comes out of it, the exact imprint of his nature. If there was a, a massive being that was invisible, but all of a sudden he put his hand into like a big, pl through a plastic sheet, and all of a sudden you can see the shape of the hand. Jesus is incarnate. He is the visible God. We will never see God. God is a spirit. No man can see him, but we can see Jesus. 
So when God reveals himself by sending Jesus, who's always been God, becomes a man and walks amongst us, we see for the first time with unveiled faces the character and the essence of who God is. He walked through this life. And so not only physically did we see him, well, us humans, we saw him, right? But actually even in a character way, we saw him. We saw him navigate through the lifestyle that we navigate through. We saw him do it perfectly. And isn't it pretty mysterious and amazing? Because just when you think he's going to be soft, he's hard. And sometimes he's going to be hard, he's going to be soft. He's quite mysterious. He's not natural to us. He's God. We're man. He's different. We share his image, right? We're building his image, but he is definitively different. And we see Jesus reveal who the Father is. You'd know nothing about God unless he reveals it to you. And, he's reve- and he has revealed it to you. Every person on this planet, he's revealed it to you. Number one, he's given you eyeballs. There's certain things your eyes are going to pick up that he's put around you, certain piece of creation. Let's just say creation is a little bit amazing. Let's just say it's not utterly random. Let's say it's wonderful. Let's say, it's, let's say we can look at creation and find it beautiful, uh, reproducing, adaptable. Let's just say. That is given by God to show you this. And it's in Romans 1. We already covered that. But even beyond that, he speaks to us in his word, what he did in, in, the, in, the, in the Old Testament. And even beyond that, he then sent his son. So we only know about him what he said. We have no business trying to examine him on our own independently. And even for us as believers, we keep coming back and reminding ourselves of this. He's the wise God of all. The end of this obedience of this faith is glory. Glory to God forevermore. Jesus Christ and all God does in him is how God chooses to be glorified. If you don't believe in Jesus, you cannot glorify God. The way the Father has chosen to give access to himself and knowledge to himself is through Jesus. He's put all the eggs in the basket of Jesus, right? So there's no plan B. There's no other Messiah. There's no other friend. There's no other goodness. If you want the true living God, you must only find him through Jesus. And that is why if a person says, I'm a believing Jew, we believe in the same God, I'm okay. They're not okay unless they believe in Jesus. There's no access for a Jewish person or an Islamic person or your grandma or any skeptical person or anything. Like There's no access ever to God by anybody but through Jesus, the Messiah King who lived and died and rose again for us. That is God's chosen avenue for us to know him. And unless you know him, Jesus, you don't get the Father. I'm not making that up. Here's a verse. 1 John 2.23, and by a verse, I mean a fatty. No one who denies the Son has the Father. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So, brothers and sisters, this passage, I think, is just an amazing one. In this passage, you realize if you trust in Jesus, you are commissioned in a long, long chain of commissioned people to bring about the obedience of faith, something you can't do. But he can strengthen you to do that. But that is the purpose of your life. And if your faith is real, it will fruit into obedience. It is fueled by knowing and remembering the gospel itself. And in the end, it points towards glory in God, where we all stand together with God's people and cast glory to God. Let me just, let me just have you bow, bow your heads, and uh, let me just read this doxology to the Lord. In the spirit of this doxology, We ascribe together the incomparable superiority, beauty, goodness, and wisdom of the only true God. We know him only through Jesus, in whom we now exist and have worth and love. And this God, if sought, is able to and will grant us the strength to accomplish the mission he has honored us with. We share the gospel of Christ 
And in doing so, our Christ reaching into the dark, dark world and transforming children of darkness into his children of light and growing them into massive, fruitful obedience flowing from their faith. There could be no sweeter spot in life than to be with him as he does this. There is none like the only wise and true eternal God. Would you guys please stand with me? Father, we praise your name as the only wise and true eternal God. We praise you for Jesus Christ, the one you've sent. Please be with us now as we praise you in song, uh, as we celebrate you in communion. Uh, we love you in Christ's name.